And so to speak, I asked Jordan to begin um, praying for his word for the year and then be prepared to, to share that and um, been working through that. And let me just say this. I'm so thankful for what God is doing um, in the life of Jordan and Blair and leading our youth and just so thankful um, for that and thankful for God appointed all of this in his time. And this time last year, I'd have never thought we'd be where we are. Um, with all of the events, and, and yet here we are, and just so thankful to God for His faithfulness. So I've asked Jordan to come and to share his word, um, and just more than one word, a lot of words um, for the year, and describing that. So let's make him feel welcome. Good morning. I know what y'all are thinking. Y'all are getting out early today. <laughs> Well, to quote Lee Corso, he's a college football announcer for y'all that don't know. Not so fast, my friend. I got four truths to go over today. I'm so thankful for my opportunity to share my word for 2018. And um, we're going to be in James 1 starting out. So if you want to go ahead and head over there, I'll meet y'all there in a minute. But before I jump into it, I just want to say what an honor it is to have been uh, the student minister here at Oceanway. Uh, Blair and I absolutely love pouring into these young adults. It's been about six months since we embarked on this, and it has been amazing watching God work in all their lives. And it is so humbling for us both to think that maybe, just maybe, God's using us ever so slightly to help them with their journey with Christ. We watched several of these young men and women really start to form a relationship with God and really want to start to learn more and mature in Christ, so just thankful so thankful for that and so thankful for the opportunity to pour in and to love these youth. You see, last year, my word at the beginning of the year was persistence. And the verse that went with it was Philippians 3.14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Jesus has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus, which, strangely enough, was the same verse the church used. I thought that was kind of cool. And I chose that word and that verse because... Uh, later in the year, I was going to enroll in seminary. I was really starting my journey in, with Christ. Pastor Micah was starting a discipleship program with me, really just helping me mature in his word. And I didn't want it to fizzle out. I didn't want my relationship with Christ to fizzle out. I wanted to stay strong in the faith. I wanted to stay the course, and I wanted to do whatever he asked me to do. And one of those things he asked me to do was per pursue the student minister position here at Oceanway when it became vacant and jump ahead to July of last year, and God granted me my desire to become the student minister here at Oceanway. So, so thankful for that. And once I was appointed into the position, the question turned, well, great, but what do I do with it? <laughs> first time student minister here. So the first thing I did was try to sit down and try to figure out what exactly I wanted the youth ministry to be. What's the vision, so to speak? And I prayed about what I wanted the youth ministry to be, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and the Lord gave me a word, and that word was rooted. And then he gave me some verses to go along with it, and it was Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And we ran with it. And that was the goal. That was what I wanted to see happen with these young men and women. And not only them, but also myself. I wanted the word to take root in their lives and in mine. I wanted it to infect their heart. I wanted us to establish a strong foundation and to build upon that 
And once the foundation was laid, we started building up brick by brick. That word, rooted, is on the wall in the youth room as a constant reminder of what we are to be, rooted in Christ. And once I got the word and the verses, then the question became, well, how do I go about helping these youth lay a solid foundation? So what I did was I took everything that Pastor Micah did with me in our discipleship, I made it youth-friendly, and I started using that. We first learned a Bible reading strategy that Pastor Micah taught me, and he reviewed it uh, Wednesday with the church. And it's my hope that we will continue to use it this year. It's the REAP strategy, read, examine, apply, pray. And hopefully it is helping them when they open up their Bibles to uh, study God's Word. You read, you know, what is the Word saying? You examine what's the deeper meaning in those verses. What is God showing us? And then you apply it. What are these verses telling us personally? And then you pray. After you write everything down, you write a prayer out as well. You write down what, you know, what these verses said to us. What, what, how do they challenge us? How do they give us some insight? How do they give us some wisdom about God? And we just thank God for those verses. And then when we went over a prayer strategy, and that acronym was PRAY, and that was praise, repent, apply, or ask, and yield, excuse me. And this was really something I just wanted them to see just so they knew that when you pray, it's just not all me, 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 me. It wasn't a way to create some formulaic prayer. They just need to realize that when they pray, they're praying to the creator of all things. And once we went over those two things, then we started to dive into his word. And I thought it would be best to start at the beginning, so we started in Genesis. We went over the, uh, we broke down creation. We looked at the fall of man. We looked at Cain and Abel, and, and we really started to look at how the entire Bible points to something greater in Christ Jesus. We dived into God's covenant with Abraham and how God promised to make Abraham a father of many nations. We looked at God freeing his people from the Egyptians. We took a close look at how God's covenant with Moses. And then we looked at how it was directly related to God's covenant with Abraham. And we saw how Moses was going to be used by God just as Abraham was. Right before we started preparing for our youth drama, we looked at God's covenant with Moses at Mount Sinai, and that's where we're at right now. We're going to continue in our progression through the Old Testament and see how God has worked and how everything that went on pointed something, pointed to Christ. That's not going to change. So I started praying about what the verse of this year was going to be. We're going to continue to stay rooted, and we are going to continue to be word-driven, but what else do we want to happen in 2018? And I was led to the book of James. Now, before we jump into the verses, understand the rules were bent a little bit. It's not one verse. I'm using three verses, so forgive me. Uh, so if you are there and able, I would ask that you stand while we read. James 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet, very, or meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We need you, Lord. Just thank you for this opportunity to let you uh, your word be glorified. Uh, thank you for our church family. And just let us grow this year in you, Lord. Let your church grow physically, Lord. Let your church grow financially and spiritually, Father. And we just love you and we need you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
Now, if you noticed, when I was praying, I continually used the word grow. And that is my word for 2018, grow. That version that I just read was the English Standard Version. The, standard, uh, the Christian Standard Version uses the word endurance instead of steadfastness. They mean just about the same thing. Uh, it's just I personally like the word endurance more. How does one actually build up endurance according to these verses? By having your faith tested. By having your faith tested, you grow in Christ. That is the word for myself. That is the word for the youth ministry. Grow. We are to grow spiritually in 2018. And it is my hope and prayer that everyone here this morning will grow in 2018 as well. We're going to continue to lay a solid foundation in our knowledge, in our love, and in our works in Christ. That's not going to change. But at the same time, we don't want to have the same amount of knowledge. We don't want the same amount of love and works that we did last year or even yesterday. We want to continuously grow in Christ. These verses tell us that when various trials come, it's testing our faith to build endurance. The trials help us grow in our faith, but it got me thinking, how else do we build our endurance? How else can we grow spiritually? How can we prepare for the trials yet to come? And that leads me to my first of four Talking points. And I can hear y'all. <laughs> Pastor Micah taught him it's three. What is he doing? Well, Pastor Micah only did two last week, so I'm making up for that. <laughs> the first truth is we grow spiritually when we seek and know the word of God. I can tell you right now that if this isn't picked up, but only on Sunday, we ain't growing. We have to seek the word of God and know it. Reading the Word of God is essential to spiritual growth. James 1 tells us we grow through testing our faith. It produces endurance. But we can also train. I don't mean going to Planet Fitness and pumping your muscles. I mean we can train by spending time in the Word and knowing His will. 1 Timothy 4.8 tells us, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So, you know, going to Planet Fitness and staying fit does have some value, according to Paul. But seeking his word and knowing his word grows us in godliness. And that is valuable in every way because it's beneficial for this life and for the life to come. We've got to dive into his word. Pastor J.D. Greer once said, being able to articulate the gospel with accuracy is one thing. Having this faith captivate your soul is quite another. So diving into his word isn't even enough. Are we seeking it? Are we yearning for it? Because when we yearn for it, that's when growth in Christ happens. We don't get points for just memorizing Bible verses. They have to infect our hearts. We are to long for the word like an infant wants milk. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now when Judah was an infant, he would scream and cry his head off until he got his milk. He had to have it. We thought going into this year we were going to be tough parents. And starting January 1st, we would get him off the bottle into a sippy cup. He was going cold turkey. He just didn't know it yet. He was quite offended by this New Year's resolution he didn't know he signed up for. It lasted till about, I think, 11 a.m. January 1st. I know it didn't last half a day. He stood in front of the fridge and screamed his head off until he got his milk in a bottle. 
Needless to say, we are weaning him off the bottle now. <laughs> he did that because he had to have it. He had to have it in a bottle. It was essential to his life to have that milk in a bottle. This is how we are to come to the word of God. The Bible is essential to our lives. We have to have it. We cannot live without it. It is a matter of life and death to have it. That comparison probably not only comes from the meaning of a hearty craving, but also the unashamed sense that the nutrition of this milk is utterly undeserved. It is a free gift, and we are helpless to taste it apart from God's quickening grace. John Piper, in his book, Reading the Bible Supernaturally, tells us our ultimate goal in reading the Bible is that God's infinite worth and beauty would be exalted in the everlasting white-hot worship of the blood-bought bride of Christ from every, language, or from every people, language, tribe, and nation. When we open up our Bibles, are we seeking God? Are we looking for his infinite worth and beauty? Or are we just checking off the daily Bible reading? Or are we just trying to memorize a few verses? Every time we open up God's word, we should be longing to see his infinite worth and beauty. This is the ultimate goal when we open up our Bibles. This is how spiritual growth occurs. When we read, we see how God and how great he truly is. We realize that he is strong. We are weak. We realize how much he loves us and how much we need him. This is when spiritual growth occurs, when we seek him and we know him. That's the first way. But before we move on to our second truth, I just want to leave you with a quote by David Platt. I'm going to quote him twice today. And I thought that was okay because Brother Michael last week said David Platt was Pastor Micah's man crush, so I thought I could get away with it. <laughs> if we want to know the glory of God, if we want to experience the beauty of God, and if we want to be used by the hand of God, then we must live in the word of God. The Bible tells us in Psalm 19 that God's words are to be desired more than gold, and it's sweeter than honey. So that's a wonderful place to live in, amen? Second way, we grow spiritually when we follow the will of God. We don't follow Jesus because he makes life better. We follow Jesus because he is better than life. C.S. Lewis, who I always try to quote because he's C.S. Lewis, said it really, really well when he said, there are two kinds of people, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. Which one do you want to be? But before you answer to yourself, just think for a moment if you decide you don't want to follow God's instructions. David Platt, again, told you I was quoting twice, said, everything in all creation responds to obedience to the creator until we get to you and me. We have the audacity to look God in the face and say no. Who are we to tell God no? I am assuming the majority of the people sitting in the pews this morning profess to be followers of Christ. And if my assumption is correct, then we need to follow the will of God. We need to be disciples, making disciples, because attending church does not make you a disciple any more than sticking your head in the oven makes you a roast. We are told what to do in Luke 9.23. And he, he being Christ, said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is where the saying, my cross to bear, comes from, and I'm going to get to that in a second. But first, the term, come after me, means to become a disciple, and that requires a couple of different things. This scripture tells us three things. 
You've got to deny himself. You have to deny yourself, not simply denying certain things, but denying personal control of your life. You aren't in control. Christ is. Take up your cross. You are going to make a commitment to God that will lead to rejection from the world and possibly even death. And lastly, follow me. We must follow him. We must follow the teachings of Christ Jesus. And if we decide, you know what, those things aren't really for me, Christ tells us in Matthew 10, 38, what will happen. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Understand that in these verses, the crucifixion is a metaphor for discipleship. And if we aren't being disciples, if we aren't following the will of God, then we are not worthy of God. And I just want to clarify, a person who is not worthy of God, that is someone who has never came to God on God's terms. He doesn't follow God as God tells us to. And if you're wondering what his terms are, it's Jesus. A person not worthy of God doesn't get heaven with God. They get hell. So we have to be sure we are following the will of God so we can be worthy of God. We must be disciples of God. You know, if we had an accurate view of eternity, both the joy of heaven with Christ and the hopelessness of hell, everything would change about our priorities. But back to that my cross to bear saying, everyone has heard the saying, it's my cross to bear. Examples of this, I apologize to every Georgia fan in here. Georgia hasn't won a national championship since 1980. But that's my cross to bear for being a fan. I was really worried I was going to have to change that. But they choked. I'm so sorry, Pastor. I snore so loudly I wake myself up. But that's just my cross to bear. When I eat tacos, I always get heartburn. But that's my cross to bear for my love of tacos. No, that's not your cross to bear. Your cross to bear is to be a disciple for God. Amen. That saying minimizes what God did on that cross and makes you ignore exactly what he wants you to do. Right. A disciple must be denying himself. We deny self-will. We are putting self-will to death. We take up our cross, meaning embrace God's will. And we do that no matter the cost. And we follow Christ Jesus. Do you want meaning in your life? Do you want purpose? There it is. Amen. Grab your cross. In Mark 8.35, after telling the crowd to pick up their cross, he said, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Christ's paradoxical statement demands two different senses of the word life in this verse. What he is saying is whoever lives a self-centered life focused on the present world will not find eternal life with God. And he is also saying whoever gives up his self-centered life of rebellion against God for the sake of Christ and the gospel will find everlasting communion with God. So we need to end our rebellion against God and serve Christ. Because when we do these three things, when we deny ourselves, when we pick up our cross, and when we follow Christ, that is when spiritual growth occurs. Moving on to the third way. We grow spiritually when we are in Christ Jesus. If you are following along in your Bibles, we are heading to John 15. Last year, Pastor Micah led us through the seven I Am statements of Christ found in the book of John. In the book of John, in chapter 15, Christ gives us one of his seven I am statements. Christ metaphorically tells us what happens when we are in him. Pastor Mike also brought up these verses last week, so this should be a good refresher. If you made it to John 15, give me an amen. amen. We are reading verses 1 through 8. 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Because Christ is the true vine, we must personally be found in him. In these eight verses, Christ tells us what happens if we are not found in him. He takes them away because they do not bear fruit. In, five, or, excuse me, in verse 5, he states, apart from me, you can do nothing. Christ does not mean nothing at all. For unbelievers carry on their ordinary activities of life apart from Christ. Rather, it means nothing of eternal value or inability to produce spiritual fruit. But because we are in Christ, we are children of God. We will bear good fruit for the kingdom. What is the fruit? That can be found in Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there are no law. These are the things that will be produced in us when we are in Christ. Love, joy, peace, goodness, the good fruits. And if we are really a branch that is part of the true vine, then we don't have room for things not of God. According to Colossians, that's anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. These things will not come from our mouths, according to Paul in his letter to the Colossians. But since we are in Christ and a part of his vine, we are going to produce good fruit for the kingdom of God. Throughout these seven verses, or excuse me, throughout these uh, eight verses in John, Christ tells us to abide. Abide in him. Seven times Christ tells us to abide in him. When Jesus tells us to abide in me, it means to continue in a daily, personal relationship with God. It's characterized by trust, prayer, obedience, and joy. And he goes on to say, I and you, meaning that we safeguard our relationship with God so that he can continue to abide fully in him. We must fully abide in Christ. We must continue to have a daily, personal relationship with Jesus. Now moving on to the fourth and final truth. It really, or excuse me, we grow spiritually when we constantly pray and form a relationship with God. A relationship with the Lord is not a math equation. It really comes down to a matter of the heart. Do I trust him? Not can I explain everything or do I understand everything, but fundamentally do I have trust by faith? How can you form a relationship and build that trust with someone you don't talk to? You can't. And you might be saying, well, Jordan, what do I pray for other than blessing my food? And I typically do that pretty quickly because I don't want that food to get cold. The Bible tells us to pray about everything. Philippians 4, 6 tells us, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, 
Let your requests be made known to God. God wants to hear all of it. He wants to have a relationship with us. We are supposed to talk to our creator about everything. What does this verse also tell us to do? Not to be anxious about anything. In other words, don't worry. This verse essentially says the things that are continually sticking into you, turn them over to me, for I am caring for you. The Philippians were continuously worrying and were told to stop. See, worry robs our hearts of peace. We may encounter trials and troubles, but it is wrong to brood over them. Worry is the interest we pay on the debts of unbelief with which we have mortgaged our lives. God gives us a warning about worry. Now jump over to Matthew 6 really quick if you are still following along in your Bibles. See, y'all weren't expecting a finger workout when you walked into church this morning. In the book of Matthew chapter 6, Christ tells us how we should come about worrying, how, how not to worry, really. And in the book of Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, Christ tells us, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them at all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. At the heart of these verses, in Matthew, is do not worry. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about things. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothing. Don't worry about whatever. If you are using the King James Version, the phrase, take no thought, is a command that appears several times throughout these verses. Three to be exact. This phrase means to be drawn in a different direction or to be torn apart. This phrase means to be, uh, excuse me, worry pulls a person apart because the person is trying to live a life without a dependence and trust in God. The average person crucifies himself between two thieves, the regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. Worry is wrong because it demonstrates distrust in God's promises and providence. It says God is not big enough to handle what I got going on in my life. It is in essence practical atheism. Worry is the interest we pay on tomorrow's troubles. If we worry, we can't trust, but if we trust, we can't worry. See, worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives us something to do, just doesn't get us anywhere. Worry never moves you one inch closer to a solution. In fact, it creates more problems. Worry cannot change the past or control the future. It makes you miserable today. You cannot grow spiritually with worry. So have confidence in the Lord. 
The Bible tells us in 1 John 5, 14, that this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God always hears our prayers. Now, will he answer every prayer? Absolutely, he does. Just a lot of times, it's not the answer you want to hear. It's not the answer we want to hear. Knows an answer. God has something else in mind when it's not the answer we're wanting. Think about this. William Carey was an English missionary and Baptist minister. He is known as the father of modern missions. And he said, prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer, lies at the root of all personal godliness. If we really want to grow our relationship with Christ, if we really want to mature more this year, we need to come to God with secret, fervent, meaning passionate, believing prayer. That is essential to our growth in Christ. You cannot be Christ-like, which is the goal of a disciple, and not pray. It's impossible. So last week, Pastor Micah shared his word, and when he shared it, he talked about how the word more was meant to serve as a challenge. He talked about how he considered the word a personal challenge, a challenge for his family, and even a challenge for us, his faith family. As I listened to his sermon, I reflected on the divine providence of God. Without sharing our sermon notes or words, I'd been led to select a word that supports the challenge of more. You see, more wasn't meant to be limited to just what we should expect from God. Pastor Micah told us that more should be what we expect from ourselves. We have to be doing more, investing more, praying more, studying more, in order to fill God's plan for our lives and for our church. In the simplest of terms, in order to do more, we must grow. We must seek God, follow the will of God, be in God, and form a relationship with God so we can grow into believers he has called us to be. Now, I didn't piggy, or excuse me, I didn't ask for permission, but I am going to piggyback off what uh, pa Pastor Micah challenged us to do. So I'm going to give him a challenge of my own. It is not enough just to have roots. So many of us have planted our seeds, but then stopped short of doing the work needed to grow. It is my prayer that we will continue to support each other in seeking more, expecting more, yearning more, and growing more throughout this year. This time, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We need you. Father, let us grow more in you in 2018. Let your church grow more in 2018, Father, whether it's physically, spiritually, or financially, Father. We love you, Lord, and just let us know more about you. Reveal yourself more to us. Let us grow in you, Father. Just thank you for this opportunity to glorify you. And just be with us today, Lord. We love you and we need you. Amen. Thank you, Jordan. You don't have to stand up yet. You don't have to stand up yet. <laughs> but let, let me say this before we go into our altar call and our time of invitation and consecration is, you know, anytime we share our word of, um, from the pulpit, it's, it's our word. We prayed and asked God to give it to us. Yet the beautiful thing about God's word is it applies to all of us. It's not just, well, that's his word, so I don't have to worry about that. No, we're called um, by God's word to grow. I, I think about that amazing example of, of Judah desiring milk. And the beautiful thing about Judah is you can tell he's a healthy little boy. Um, you can tell that he gets his milk, um, whether it be through screaming or through any other means or maybe using grandma, um, whatever, however that might happen, he gets his milk. And the beautiful thing is when that happens, growth happens. The problem is for so many believers, we, we sit here and we claim to have 
been saved for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and yet we're still infants. We're not growing in the faith. We're not drinking the spiritual milk that God has given us to drink. And we're not getting into the meat of, of God's word the way we required or, or asked of God to do. And I pray that we would desire this year more. We would desire to, to grow because that's God's desire for us. It's not, it's not just Jordan's prayer for us or for the youth ministry. It's God's desire for us to grow and to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we're going to go ahead and ask you now to stand and we're going to enter into a time of invitation, consecration, where we say if God has asked you to do something, if God is speaking to your heart now, may this be a place of freedom. May you do what God is asking you to do. If, even if it sounds crazy, just do what God is asking you to do. Be obedient in, in this moment uh, as we just enter this time.